This episode of Pod Cemetery is brought to you by Minos Escape Rooms. Be the first to escape our most immersive room yet and win $10,000 only at Minos Escape Rooms. Hello, my name is Chris. My name is Kelsey. And this is Pod Cemetery, where we dissect horror movies like the rotting corpses that they are. And it's Thanksgiving on Pod Cemetery with two movies that happened to coincide with Thanksgiving, Yay! 1987's Blood Rage and 2019's Escape Room. This is one of those rare occasions that the only reason we ever saw these movies was because they were associated with the holiday, and it was a good time both times. <laughs> Especially Thanksgiving, guys. I think the majority of our Thanksgiving films have been abhorred by us. Not this time. I don't know. One of my favorite stupid movies that we've covered on this show is a Thanksgiving movie. Yeah, but not because it's good. What was the name of that one? Home Sweet Home. Home Sweet Home. That's right. Huzzah. Nobody listens to that episode. <laughs> Nobody that movie does. movie was nonsense. <laughs> well, let's get right in it uh, with this year's Thanksgiving movies with 1987's Blood Rage also known as Slasher or Nightmare at Shadow Woods. It was released under three different titles, so if you're looking for it, maybe do a little bit of search for those. Oh, man. What? I want to see Nightmare at Shadow Woods. We did see Nightmare at Shadow Woods. But I want to see that in a title card for this movie. <laughs> That's such a badass title. Yeah, so we watched this. It was called Blood Rage, and then the title card is Slasher. Both of those titles are garbage. <laughs> I want Nightmare at Shadow Ridge. Shadow Woods. Shadow Woods. Even better. And Shadow Woods is just a fucking gated community like it's just an apartment complex i think nightmare at shadow ridge might be a choose your own adventure book <laughs> need to look this up well this one nightmare at shadow woods which i'm pretty sure they just changed such a cool title because of nightmare on elm street i think one of its taglines was not every nightmare happens on elm street or something stupid like that <laughs> the look Kelsey gave me. And that's a cool tagline myself. <laughs> I like it. I like this movie. Well, this one was written by Bruce Rubin and directed by John Grismer, starring Louise Lasser, Mark Soper, Julie Gordon, and Louise Lasser's boobs. The film was shot in 1983, but it wasn't released to theaters until 1987. Unnecessary joke. <laughs> Are any jokes necessary? I feel like I had to comment. Yeah, you. I mean, I was going to comment, but you don't have to be mean about <laughs> They're it. They're practically a star of the movie at this point. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Anyway, we'll talk about all that. Mm -hmm. This movie was uh, actually made in 1983, but it didn't come out till years later in 87. What is Blood Rage all about, Kelsey? 
sorry, Nightmare at Shadow Woods. Yeah. In 1974, a set of twins in their preteens, like maybe like 11 years old, I would guess, uh-huh. are at a drive-in and they're wandering around and one of them finds a hatchet and the other one takes that hatchet and kills someone and then blames it on the other twin. And that twin goes to an institution for 10 years and that uh, the crazy twin gets to be free. 10 years later, the... <laughs> The framed brother escapes, which sets off the other brother. Well, not really. I think he's really set off because his mother's getting married. Yeah. Because I think the original set off is because she's having sex. But so then the twin goes on a rampage again. And there is no... That's the entire plot, folks. Like, that's the entire movie. (laughs) You might be thinking, oh, is it going to be like a twist? Like, it was the... What a twist. It was the crazy brother all along. Like, you know, like... uh No, nothing to do with that. Everything Kelsey just told you is right, and it's the entire movie. Yes. (laughs) With a great ending. It's a killer ending. But um, And it makes one of my more favorite movies from the, like, early 90s horror movies that we have not done... Makes me kind of sad that it kind of ripped off the ending of this. The Good Son. I mean, not really, but I see where you're going with that, but I wouldn't go that far. Why? I would not say it ripped it off. She chose to kill the bad brother, even though I know in that case it's a cousin and it's her son, but she chose to kill the son that she loved the most. Yeah, but to save the one that she knew didn't commit the crime. But it's implied at the end of this movie that she fucked up. She did it on accident. No, I don't think she did. I think she was just she just hoping... her her mind kind of breaks at that point. We're talking about the end of the movie here. <laughs> I think she was just hoping he would just go along with it. Oh, uh, interesting, interesting. Because I think she just didn't want to. She just didn't want to deal with it. Yeah. She was just like, hey, I killed him. Now you can be him. But I mean, killing somebody that you love because they're an evil murderer in order to save somebody else that you love is not like, I don't think that's something you could steal from any particular source. (laughs) I immediately thought of the good. I understand why, but I did not. It's such a good ending. And I love The Good Son. Such a good ending. We need to have The Good Son on this. It's not really horror. It's more of a thriller, I guess. I don't mind that. My problem is we can't do... It's kind of like my problem with Little Shop of Horrors. We can't do a a double feature with those movies because they're all old. Yeah, they're all... They're both movies would be on the wrong side of our classic And in both cases, both versions are good. Yeah. So it's not even like I'd be willing to just throw one away. Well, we could uh, fudge it for a double feature, is what I'm saying. Nobody cares about the bad seed and the good son. No one <laughs> Fair enough. Anyway. If you want it, tweet about it. You can watch the movie with a subscription to AMC+, Plus, Canopy, Shudder, something called Night Flight Plus, and Arrow. You can rent it for 3 to $4 and buy it for 10 to 15 on many services. Should people watch Blood Rage? You have to know it's not a good movie. It's not a good movie. It's bad, but it's, it's bad wonderfully movie. bad. Yes. And it's one of those also... entertainingly bad movies, but not like it's not like uh uh a train accident bad. You know how sometimes it's like it's so bad you can't look away like a home sweet home is so 
god awful that every time something novel happens, you jump for joy. I this disagree. Is, this is not one of those movies. I did not enjoy Home Sweet Home. <laughs> I understand. I enjoyed this movie. Do you remember when he elbow dropped on I the do. hood of the car? I do. <laughs> do you remember when he jumped from just off of camera with a knife in his back? Ah! <laughs> do you remember the mime? Yes. The guitar playing mime? Yes. I remember the mime. Uh, we're talking about the wrong movie, Kelsey. Should people watch this movie, though? Okay. Knowing that, and... I think you have to be a fan of 80s slashers. You yeah. kind of have to have that yeah. going into it. Uh-huh. If you're not if you don't like 80s slashers in general, then you're really not going to like this movie. It was it seems to me like this was obviously designed just to cash in on the 80s slasher craze and they started with that first and then came up with every other idea after they'd already made that decision. That's what this feels like to me. You're not seeing something that's being made because somebody had a passion for the story or anything. I mean, if you're okay with all of that. With those, yes. Sure. It's fun. It'd be worth if you had a bunch of friends over sitting down and watching one night. You know what I mean? Yes. It would be a lot of fun. With snacks and something to get you fucked up. (laughs) Like, that would be fun, I would say. You can take our advice or leave it. When we get back, we will talk about 1987's Blood Rage. Looks like you're going to get a chance to meet the rest of the family. My psychotic brother just escaped. I just don't want to spoil things. Anybody else need more turkey? No, I'm pretty good, thanks. I don't like to talk about my brother. He gives me nightmares. This Thanksgiving. You know, somebody ought to tell him to get inside. Nobody should be out with my brother around. He looked exactly like Terry, except he had this really wild, crazed look in his eyes. There's somebody after me and he's chasing me and he's trying to hurt me. Get me hurt my kidding. Oh, You're a real sweetheart. You know that? A real sweetheart. It's not cranberry sauce, Artie. It's not cranberry sauce. All right, Kelsey, get us started. How does Blood Rage begin? 1974, Jacksonville, Florida. A drive-in movie theater showing a movie called The House That Cried Murder. (laughs) I want to watch that movie. (laughs) Everything about this is great. The music, the hair, the clothes. Unfortunately, the camera is not steady. Oh, yeah. So there's this random guy we're going to follow for a little bit. And he's going to go to the bathroom, and there's going to be what should have been a Steadicam shot walking backwards as he's walking forwards. And he's going to make his way from, like, the concession stand to the bathroom. And there's just some dude just manhandling a camera. And every step he takes, the camera's just shaking. It's like, man, you needed a Steadicam rig for this. Something. You needed to lay down track. If it wasn't going to be handheld, like it's just handheld with no support. It's the worst decision this movie makes <laughs> from a cinematographical cinematographical perspective. Anyway, he goes to the bathroom and meets Ted Raimi, who's selling condoms <laughs> <laughs> with with like safety pins in them to attach to the inside, like a what are you buying kind of thing, you know. <laughs> But safety pins through condoms, holding them on. Yes, it's not a good idea. Not a good idea. But everybody is hooking up. 
including a woman and a man with two kids in the back of the car. This is our family that we're going to be dealing with here. This I is Louise Lasser is and her two kids going out with her boyfriend and the kids are supposed to be sleeping in the back of the car so Louise Lasser and her boyfriend can make out. Do we ever find out what happened to her original husband? I don't know. I don't think we do. I don't think it's important. No, I think it's very important because this family is nuts. This mother is crazy looking for a man. Like, I mean, like, Norma Bates crazy. She's she's off. She's very much off. And it's only going to get accentuated with the trauma that happens after this. But she's already a little bit off. I think she's a Norma Bates situation and her son is a norman bates situation and the other twin is just a hapless fool who is attached to them and is also likely crazy which is why he goes catatonic after he sees what he sees so here's what's going to happen she's gonna argue she can't make out in the car while the kids are back there and he's like they've been sleeping through the whole movie come on let's make out and so they start making out The kids wake up and they go, well, mom's at it again. And they sneak out of the car and they go exploring around this drive-in. Todd, the innocent brother, that's how we'll have to, I have this written, bold, all caps, larger font on my notes here. Todd equals framed and interred, but not guilty. And then Terry equals the actual killer. The movie's not shy about this. It's not some sort of, oh, did he... Did it actually happen this way? No, it straight up points everything out to you. Todd finds an axe and then Terry takes it and walks up to, I think it's the guy from earlier that we watched go to the bathroom, uh, having sex with his girlfriend. And then when the guy notices, he calls him a creep and tells him to go away. And instead of going away, Terry continually buries that hatchet in the dude's face, freaking the girl out and everything. She runs away naked. Todd is catatonic. He just freezes watching this. And so Terry turns to him, rubs the blood that's on him all over his, his innocent brother and then hands him the hatchet. And then when everyone comes by to see what's going on, Terry, the real killer says he just did it. And I watched him do it. Now he's catatonic or whatever. And that's how he frames his twin brother. Yeah. It's a nutso beginning. Uh (laughs) It's an intense beginning to a film. It's just like, Wow, okay, all right, let's go. And then it's a 10 years later, and happy Thanksgiving! Uh, the crazy mother is here to visit her crazy son. I did write down here, Jesus movie, show, don't tell, because there is a moment at the beginning of the 10-year gap where we have Todd's therapist narrating her conversation with the mother. It's so bad. And explaining the conversation that we're watching them have, but she's talking over the whole thing. And then Todd comes in and they see each other for the first time in a long time. Todd is obviously mentally unstable, but he's desperate because he knows he didn't do it. He doesn't remember doing it. And the therapist is starting to believe him. And I wrote down Jesus show don't tell because she literally just says all this stuff. (laughs) Dr. Berman's patient consultation notes. November 22nd, 1984. Saw Maddie Simmons, Todd's mother, for the first time today. I don't think she was quite prepared for what I told her, that after 10 years, Todd was starting to remember what had happened in the drive-in that night. Facing the fact that Todd's memory of the incident cast suspicion on his twin brother, Terry, was not that easy for her. On Terry? 
What are you, crazy? Her position on another issue was also somewhat negative. No! No! No more tests! No more tests! My children are not guinea pigs! My past work with hysterical patients helped me calm her down. And then we cut to they're having Thanksgiving dinner, and it's the mom with her different boyfriend, I think? Not the same one? Yeah, no, this is a different guy. And what I think it comes to is Terry snapped when he saw his mother, like, hooking up with that guy. Uh Uh-huh. And then after he blamed his brother, he realized, I have to be okay with my mother having sex. So he got used to that. But then his mother is now getting married. She's going to announce that they are engaged. And this is this is new for him. And plus it's, I think it's, you know, I think he was 10 when it happened and now we're 10 years later. So it's like a 10 year cycle thing. Who is here at this dinner? Do you remember? It's Terry's girlfriend who we get a little football scene at the beginning. Yeah, for. there's a football scene it's where <laughs> he will meet their new neighbor. And totally flirt with her right in front uh-huh. of his girlfriend. And this new neighbor comes to Thanksgiving dinner with them. Mm-hmm. And so it's really weird. She's like, oh, you know what? I'm at at dinner. I'm babysitting tonight. You should come with. And Terry's like, yeah, I will. And his girlfriend's like, dude, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> Which you would think would spur her to think maybe her, brother, her boyfriend is not as good a guy as she thought he was. Yeah. Or maybe spur her to think... Maybe I don't want to be with this guy, but no, it spurs her to think I better offer my body to him. I, yeah, I'd better make the commitment now before I lose him, is mm-hmm. what. So that's Karen, played by Julie Gordon. Yeah, she's going to be the final girl of this movie. Oh, we didn't mention at this dinner, Terry is wearing slacks and a button up shirt with a popped collar and still a tie, a red tie. Tied around his neck with the popped collar. It is the most ridiculous look I've ever seen somebody legitimately commit to as if he doesn't look ridiculous. Yes. Yes. This movie is so 80s. And it's great. <laughs> but so the mom is wearing a dress. That in every scene she's ever in, she's basically showing off her tits. But like not in a... Not in a really attractive way. It's kind way. of a messy way, right? Like, her tops are super, super low cut. So you can see, like, maybe where one of her boobs, like, doesn't necessarily fit into her bra the same way the other one does. It, it feels like maybe she has a bra that doesn't fit. Right. And, like, it feels like she's falling out of her dress. And her teeth are super yellow. And her hair is... A mess. It's a mess. The weird thing is, okay, we really don't like disparaging people's looks or talking about them as if they're physical objects and that's it. But the movie does this to her and it feels weird not to at least address it. I think that they're trying to make her look crazy. Like a mess, yeah. And she will continue to look crazy throughout the film and She'll continue to act crazy, yes. But no one addresses it. And she is definitely engaged to the manager of the ho- of the oh of the complex. complex. It's weird. It's not clear. Are they condos, apartments? It looks like they might be one or the other. Probably apartments, but they're in buildings that are maybe a little bit spread apart. There is sort of like a woods in the background sort of thing. It's it's hard to get 
a, a good grasp on the layout of everything. But there's like, you know, fun bridges over creeks and stuff like that around the property. This is what her now fiance manages. So they announce this engagement at dinner and... Then they get a phone call. Well, <laughs> the mother offers a knife to the son, Terry, to cut the bird. And he really creepily offers it to the... Fiance. Fiance. And yeah. that's like going to be your cue. Like, there's no question here. Yes, he is still crazy and he is going to be the murderer for the rest of the film. But unfortunately, no one is going to realize it until it's too late. Yeah. It's a little nuts. But looking at this meal, I'm just, I'm so excited for Thanksgiving. Guys, I'm so excited for Thanksgiving. We're big Thanksgiving fans Love in this family. Food. Love the food. Yeah. And the girl, the new girl next door at dinner will be like, we should play tennis together. And you might think that that's an innuendo for sex. No, they really mean play tennis. We'll find out later. <laughs> later. She will literally play tennis and she will be drunk when uh -huh. she does so. Yep. And at dinner, did you see the coloring get really bad in the film? No, I didn't notice. Yeah, you'll have to find it and put it on Twitter. The Whenever she's on screen, like the lighting changes and it's oh, really, really bad. Their pickups or something. So the mother gets a phone call. Tell us what she hears. She gets a phone call from the hospital where Todd is staying, saying that he has escaped and that he is in all likelihood headed home. That really shakes her to her core. And when Terry comes in to check on his mom, she tells him and is like, but don't tell anybody. I don't want to ruin this night. It's Thanksgiving and we just announced our marriage. We don't want to ruin this. And so Terry comes back into the into the dining room where everyone's at and immediately says, hey, you're all going to get to meet my brother. Looks like you're going to get a chance to meet the rest of the family. My psychotic brother just escaped. So he's coming and everyone's like, uh, uh. And then Maddie, the mom, just looks at him and it's like, I thought we agreed we weren't going to... What was that? And what? remember, she was just told by the doctor it might be yes. Terry. Todd claims he did not do it still to this day, 10 years later, and I'm starting to believe him. And if he didn't do it, that means Terry did. So maybe Maddie's starting to think things. Mm-hmm. She's starting to notice all the weird quirks her son has. It doesn't matter, though. When she starts thinking about Todd coming, she's terrified. And is is she terrified because it's going to shake up the status quo? It might reveal the truth that yes. she put the wrong son away? Yes. Like, is that what she's really terrified when Todd's coming? Yes. She can't. Her reality is so fragile. Uh-huh. Oh, she man, it's fragile. She can't have anything break it. It's real, real fragile. So everyone goes to leave, and even Brad is the fiancé's name. Brad is like, tell you what, I'm going to hold up in the office, the front office, just take care of things, and you call me if you need anything. Meanwhile, the doctor and a nurse, or a... Nurse Jackie, actually. <laughs> well, yeah, a nurse and, uh, well, the psychiatrist yeah her nurse assistant named jackie is nurse his name, is jackie? His name is jackie yeah oh uh -huh. funny yeah. i didn't realize that holds a tranquilizer to a guy's face well it looks like a real fucking gun and when so he knock they knock on the door and when terry answers he's like ah we got you ah, you don't think it's like gun right to the face and he's flipping out and it's like you're not gonna kill anybody or whatever 
And then they find out, oh, it's just Terry. It's not Todd. We're here for Todd. This is going to be important because later on, Jackie's like, you know, the doctor told me that Todd didn't actually kill anybody. So like, okay, nurse, if you know that already, why are you so fucking hostile with a gun to the dude's face right now? Well, because I think he firmly believes that he killed him. I mean, he even says to, I think, the fiance, were you around when the Simmons kid first turned into a wacko? So that's what I'm saying. But then later on, he's going to drop something like, hey, you know, I I found out that Todd didn't actually do it. And it's like, and you're still, you've still been behaving this way? Okay. Anyway, we should probably say we haven't said yet that Terry and Todd are not twins. They're just played by the same dude with different haircuts. Uh, hairstyles. That hair's not even cut. Mark Soper. But he does a really good job of being two completely different people. I would say, yeah. I would say, yeah, I would agree. But so Terry kills the fiance by first whacking off his hand. Which is holding a beer. And I gotta say, the hand effect wasn't awful. He re- Chris really liked the it effects was in this movie. fun. All the effects that they do in this movie are fun. They might not be the most convincing, but they're fun. They're not terrible. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? They could be really bad and be laughed at because of that. But instead, I'm screaming for joy, you know? (laughs) Also, I wrote down somewhere here, speak up for the first time, because Maddie fucking whispers all of her goddamn lines. It's like she has no idea how to speak for the microphones that are on set. Well, because I think she's trying to portray this woman as being crazy, but it's just like... Yeah, but the audience needs to be able to hear you. Yes. It's not like she's whispering something and somebody's like, what was that? You need to speak up. Why are you so timid? Like, that never happens. She just kind of... And then we're supposed to have known what she said. Like, what? I'm sorry. No, I'm glad we were watching with captions on. Yeah, I was going to say, thank goodness for the captions. This is the first time I wrote Speak Up. I also wrote, he's a murderer. Where are the fucking cops? Why is it just the therapist and her assistant? I think because the therapist doesn't want to get him in trouble. But surely the cops know about it. I don't know. I don't know. The cops basically never show up until the very end of the movie. They play zero part in the film. Yeah. But so Terry then is walking with Nurse Jackie. And as Chris said, he says, oh, you know, the therapist said Todd might not have killed anybody. Yeah. (laughs) And Terry goes, yes, he did. As he kills the guy. And it's great. Yes, he did. I didn't hear that the first time. I was like making a note or something. And then Kelsey shouted it. And then he said it again. And I'm like, wow, you really predicted that line. It's like, no, he just repeated it twice. Yes. Yes, he did. And then he <laughs> smokes a joint. And that He's gonna was repeat weird. Lines a bunch. Yes. He smokes a joint, but he doesn't drink or do anything else for the rest of the movie. Right. So later he, yeah, he's offered alcohol and he's like, no, I don't drink. And you're thinking, oh, maybe he, that's just like his persona as good boy Terry. But then, no, you find out from his girlfriend that he smokes weed all the time. Yeah, it's it's very, very weird. So he's killed two people now. I don't know where it is, but somewhere around here, Maddie is really, really losing her mind. Her fiancé is gone, and he's not answering his phone. Oh, my God, the phone scene. Wait, we ha- we're not there. We're not at the phone scene yet. Other things happen first. Terry is gone out 
hanging out, looking for his brother. I don't know what his actual explanation is, but he's gone. She is home alone, and she's decided that she needs to start cleaning and stuff like that to keep herself busy. But there's a scene where she's just having a breakdown, sitting spread-legged on the floor in front of an open refrigerator, eating green beans with her hands. (laughs) And we just get to watch her doing this. Yes. Everybody talks about that pie scene from that ghost movie. Well, they did it first. <laughs> At some point, he kills the psychiatrist and, like, she doesn't Cuts see her in him, half. Even though he's standing directly in front of her. Yeah, it's one of those things where the camera is a ways, not too far, but, you know, she's in the background, the middle to background. And then the killer steps in the foreground So you know he's watching her, but the framing of it all is like, oh, he's just right out in the open and so is she. Why doesn't she see him right now? And then when she does see him, she just stands there and screams while he walks towards her. It's very frustrating. he cuts her in half and she's screaming on the floor. Uh, Obviously, she's in a hole and they got a prosthetic coming out the front. But again... Fun. Like, it looked pretty fun. <laughs> yeah, and at, one, and at some point later in the film, Todd will find her, and he'll be really upset, and he'll put her body back together. Yes, just because he's a child, mentally or whatever. Yes, emotionally stunted. He's gonna take a shower, because of course he needs to, he's covered in blood. Oh my god. But before he does, he sucks the blood off of his fingers. And what does he say, Kelsey? It's not cranberry sauce. Not cranberry sauce. Three times he says that in this movie. Yeah. He'll say it two more times. It's not cranberry sauce. It's not cranberry sauce. It's like they're trying to make it the tagline. Yes. But hey, at least it's more Thanksgiving y now. Thanksgiving. It, it fits and the I theme love better. cranberry sauce. Uh-huh. <laughs> at some point in all of this, Terry does spend time with the new neighbor chick. While she's babysitting, and she really wants to fuck him, and he's just playing oblivious. I also love that this young mother is out on a date on Thanksgiving. Yes, uh, that's a good point. It's Thanksgiving. Yeah, with a guy. Uh Uh-huh. With a rich guy, and then, like... Brings him home to her place where she has a baby. Where she has a baby that's being babysat by this girl, who apparently also had no Thanksgiving plans. I mean, I guess Thanksgiving is over, technically, because they already had it at his house. That's why he's here, but... Yeah, it's very, very weird. They comment on, what, is there a party going on? No, it's just the two of them. It's like, whatever, she's a kid, she's a neighbor, we know her, she's fun. I don't care, here's the money and go. When they get home and he pays for the babysitting job because she can't afford $10 uh-huh. to pay her babysitter, he's, like, disgusted that she's been drinking and possibly smoking. I don't yeah. know if they've been smoking weed or smoking a cigarette. I don't know. But the mother says, oh, don't worry. I told them to let, to fill them, like, to ha- have what they wanted. Yeah. So she was fine with her babysitter Drinking and smoking and Uh hooking up with a guy while babysitting her baby. She was totally a chill mom who just wants to give her neighbor a place to get laid temporarily, just as long as there's somebody physically there. Because that's what she's doing. She's coming home drunk and trying to get laid. True. True. So they leave, and it's just this mom and her date and her baby. And at some point, Terry comes back and, like, 
acts like he forgot something or something. And the date answers the door and Terry just kills him. And will he'll hang his head. Like he'll chop his head off and then he'll hang it with like an extension cord or rope or something from the stairs, from the stairs that, that go above this doorway. And so when this, when very this, Halloween. Yeah. When this mom who like, I mean, it's trying like to Halloween get all decoration is what I mean. Sure. Yeah. This mom who, is just trying to bag a rich husband, a for new dad baby. for her baby. Mama's gonna get you a rich daddy. It's like, where'd you go? And then she checks through the peephole and sees his face. And it's like, what are you doing out there? And opens the door and it's just his fucking head. That was fun too. Uh, we also meet some of Terry's friends at some point in, in all of this. They join them. It's two dudes and Terry's girlfriend. I should note that Florida's open container law wasn't passed until 1988, so while it was illegal to to drink and drive, it was not illegal to have an open beer in the car. So, how do you enforce that, right? Mm. (laughs) So that's why they passed the open container law in 1988. But you do see them, like, just drinking beer in this convertible. They're all hanging out at, I think, the neighbor's place, playing video games, and... Terry's gone somewhere. I think his excuse is he's looking for his brother. Right. But first, the chick next door, like, comes on to him and he just turns the TV on. Well, that's that's when they're babysitting. Yeah, as I'm saying, like, he doesn't seem interested in getting laid at all. Yeah. He, so. he, he really was. So when the girlfriend was like, are you serious? You're going to hang out with her while she's babysitting? Like, hello, you have a girlfriend, mm-hmm. you know? No, he really is just innocently. He's not looking to hook up with her at all. It's weird. It's I don't very understand weird. what's going on uh-huh. there. He's just crazy. He's crazy. He's crazy. But so the girlfriend comes looking for Terry, but she finds Todd. Yeah. And then she says, basically, don't say anything. I want to express what I want to express, which is I love you, actually. And I would like to give myself to you to prove that love. And Todd's like, um, I'm not Terry, I'm Todd, but I've never kissed a girl before, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Terry, come on, I wish you'd say something. I'm not Terry. I'm Todd. Um, Terry's brother? Oh my god. I mean, um, so you're home for the holidays, huh? You seem nice. I've never kissed a girl before. Oh, yeah? Well, um, you really ought to try it sometime. I gotta go. Bye. Which she takes as a, he tried to kiss me, Uh which is really upsetting because later her boyfriend's drunk friend that she thought was her friend is going to actually try to kiss her her and she acts like it's no big deal. Uh Meanwhile, this guy, all he said was, I've never kissed a girl before. He doesn't even, he doesn't even take a step forward. But she knows he escaped from an institution and he might be dangerous. But I also love that when he first doesn't respond, she's like, oh, you're really high, aren't you? (laughs) That this is what happens to you. Again, not surprised that he would get stoned, but in private, he doesn't drink. Right. Okay, anyway. So he goes and looks for his brother because of all this. Now they know his brother is there. All the others, the girl next door, the girlfriend, and the two guy friends are hanging out at that girl's apartment and playing video games or whatever. And then they sort of pair off. The girlfriend, Karen, sort of befriends the goofier guy who's like her best guy friend. And then the jock guy ends up 
hanging out with the girl next door and they start flirting. And they end up going to the back room, you think, to hook up. At one point when Karen goes to check on them, she just finds the girl's seemingly lifeless body on the ground. And then when she turns her over, she's got all this makeup on her. Where they got all this makeup? Who knows? Maybe she's way into that. She's just into that. He comes out like he's a killer, ah, just to scare them. She's like, you guys are real assholes. And so then they leave and the jock and the girl next door go to, quote unquote, play tennis. But they really do play tennis. They do. Drunk and in the middle of the night. Yes. But before they go play tennis, uh-huh. she will take a shower and she's talking to herself. Oh, right. And she's like, Andrea, that was a really dumb thing to do, talking about the joke they played on her uh-huh. friends. And then she immediately just starts to whistle like it means nothing to her. Also, in her room, we see a romantics poster, uh-huh. which, you know, talking in your sleep is a great song. <laughs> I was very happy to see them there. You didn't mention that Todd finds a gun. When he puts the body of his therapist back together, and this is where he encounters the little girl. Oh, it is the fakest looking gun ever. It looks so bad. In this one particular It looks like die cast. It's really, really sort bad. Sort of, yeah, uh-huh. But he runs into a little girl. And it's important he tells her, and you know the way he tells her, it's just setting up for this to become an issue. He's like, uh... There's a bad man out right now. And you're like, okay, good. He's telling her to to be safe, right? So Todd, the innocent one who escaped, you need to go home. Okay, good. Warning her there's danger, telling her what she needs to do and lock the door and don't let anyone in no matter what it is, no matter who they are, no matter what they say. Don't you open this fucking door, kid. Like he doesn't say it like that, but that's effectively like he just reiterates over and over again that We're going to set up a premise where somebody needs to get into your house and you're not going to let them in. Hi. I've lost my cat. Have you seen it? No. But do you know what? What? Cats have a way of finding their own way home. And I think that you should go home too. Because there's a bad person out here tonight. Okay? Okay. So go home and lock your door. And don't let anybody in. Not anybody. No matter what they say. Okay. That's the way he tells her. It's yes. so important that you don't let anyone in because it's going to be important to the plot later. Yes. Because <laughs> eventually Karen will show up and the little girl's going to say to her, you're going to hurt my kitty. <laughs> because that's what she's concerned about is her cat. Uh-huh. There's nobody after me and he's chasing me and he's trying to hurt me. You're going to hurt my kitty. They go and they play tennis, which is not a euphemism, just drunk tennis. And he's there, Terry, the killer, and watching them. This scene is so confusing. There's a ball that gets, like, thrown towards him. Where is he in relation to them? Well, where where he is, he couldn't possibly have thrown the ball from where it came from. But it's very obvious. she didn't find the the ball. Yes, the movie's pointing out that that wasn't her that rolled that ball. So it's obviously him. But the the logistics, the layout of everything doesn't make any fucking sense. It's impossible. But he's watching them and he's nearby and it's supposed to be creepy. <laughs> Meanwhile, the mother is having oh, a God. major okay. Here breakdown. We go. Here we go. It's the phone scenes of the mom. I wrote, Jesus, these scenes of the mom on the phone are fucking torture. It 
hurts these scenes. It feels like she's just ad-libbing her way through the entire thing. Like the director was just like, yeah, you're manic. You're looking for your fiance and you can't find him. So you call the operator. Just try to take care of it and just be really, really manic. And so she does. She has no idea what to say. She talks so softly half the time and then so manically the other half of the time. And it's just... All they're saying is that he's not answering his phone in the office, and when she calls the operator, the operator can't get hold of him. That's all they need to communicate, and it just goes on forever. Because they're showing you her mental breakdown and how crazy she is. I guess. And I even wrote, uh, my next note is, what the fuck is happening on this phone? The problem is that um, my son just escaped from his school. Well, actually, he ran away. Actually, it's a mental institution. He ran away from his mental institution. Now, um, well, uh, well, now, I was there earlier today to bring him his pie. Uh, I always bring him an individual piece of pie with a a, a white plastic fork and a napkin, and I put it in a little box with string. What? What? What number do I want? Get me my boyfriend. No, please get me my boyfriend. And then later on, we go back to her again for like the third time. And she's still on the phone. And I wrote, that lady (laughs) is back on the telephone. (laughs) That kid is back on the escalator again. Leave it alone. What? Like, that's all. Like, it's just she would not get off the phone. The music is very intense while she's on the phone. Yes. Uh (laughs) Greg and the chick next door are out drunk on the tennis court and he finally is like let's have sex she's like don't don't i don't want to have not it here. here i know a much better place where's the better place kelsey a diving board on the diving board in the public pool it's so ridiculous but it's I'm indoors just like, it's not outdoors <laughs> what a teenager think of that i don't know i don't know would somebody be like oh i feel exposed out here on the tennis courts let's go on the diving board in the pool that everyone has access to i thought it was because that would be uncomfortable would not be comfortable to have sex on a tennis i don't know would that yeah i guess and it wouldn't be the diving board would like provide some sort of like you know you got like a bouncing effect going on you're gonna fall (laughs) off why is that more comfortable i don't know this is when we suddenly hear, you stop that. You're bad, Greg. And Terry will kill Greg. And the girl next door. Yes. Kill both of them here. Yeah. While they're fucking. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, Karen and Artie, the other guy friend, are just having a stroll talking about how weird this is, you know? How great <laughs> the, the friends they are or whatever. And then... Artie's going to try to hit on Karen and she's going to be like, whoa, 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 no, you're like my best friend. I'm not going to do that. And they're on this bridge and then Terry like grabs Artie by the legs just to freak them out. Yeah, then he pretends like he's just joking around, but then he's going to kill him. So Karen leaves for whatever reason 
I don't remember why. And it's just Artie and Terry going around looking for Todd. And they find all these murder weapons. Murder weapons that haven't been used as murder weapons yet. Like the giant fork or whatever. And then when Artie asks, what is this? To the blood on the weapons, Terry says... That isn't cranberry sauce, Artie. That is not cranberry sauce. That's time number two. So he did it after he killed Brad, the boyfriend, the fiance. He did it before what he's about to do now, which is kill Artie. He's going to, from behind, stick him with that fork up through the neck underneath the, the jawline and kill him. And after he's killed Artie and then he pulls the knife out or whatever, he tastes the blood on that and says that that's not cranberry sauce. Not cranberry sauce, Artie. It's not cranberry sauce. Three times, people. Three times. Three times. You weren't here. (laughs) You did it twice. Three times. You weren't here. He did it three times. So he's now killed Artie. He's killed Greg. He's killed the girl next door. He's killed the husband. He's killed the nurse. He's killed the doctor. He's killed the, the gentleman suitor to the lady, the mom. Has he killed the mom yet? Because he's going to kill the mom, the the horny mom. Uh, oh, no, yes, he did. He yeah, did. so he kills her. Karen's going to find the baby. And so the only people left are Todd and Terry, the twins, Karen, the girlfriend, Maddie, the mom, and this fucking baby. And the little oh, girl. and the little girl who's locked herself in the house. Yes, yes. Or in her apartment. Yes. Which, again, why is there a little girl alone on Thanksgiving? Yeah. Eventually, Maddie after getting on the phone again and she's just desperately trying to get the operator to call her boyfriend again. It's like, it's on the property. If you're this desperate, just go. Which so she, she does. does. She goes and she sees him and his hand's been cut off, but his back is to this sliding glass door that she has to walk through. And it looks like he just has his head in his hands. And I'm like, Oh, that's really interesting. She's going to turn the chair and realize he's dead. When she turns the chair and his head falls away from his hands, well, one hand and one stump holding his head up, oh my God, <laughs> the entire head is just split down the middle it and it splats. opens up. Oh my God, It is yeah. so great. I was not expecting it it's and it was gnarly. a lot of fun. So I'm saying this movie has some fun effects. You skipped the part where when he first goes after Karen... He says, I love you. And she runs away screaming. And he's like, didn't you hear me? I said, I love you. And this is kind of where I think you start to re- recognize that he is completely off the deep end. Yes. He is completely crazy. And has, and has no understanding of what he is he's doing. He's a sociopath. And a psychopath, probably. I don't know. But, yeah, he comes at her with a knife to try to kill her. And he's acting all like... Where are you going? And, and we get this sort point, of Pepe Le Pew chase thing going on. And at one point, he's playing with a dead body in front of her, and he's oh, laughing. Yes. And she's just like, why? And he's just like, you're no fun. It's very strange. She hides in one of those, you know how in some apartment complexes, there's the back patio outside your sliding glass door, and then there's a closet outside, an outdoor closet. So she's hiding in one of those closets where the nurse was killed. And he's hidden all these bodies. When when Terry figures out that she's in this closet, he's like, hmm. And then he leaves. And then cut to her. She opens the closet to come out. And Terry's just laying there on one of those, you know, sort of cheap chaise lounge things. And has, 
I I want to say it's Jackie, the nurse, just lying there, and he's like, "This is what this is that scene where he's moving one of the bodies, and he's like ha- has his arms on his arms, and is like, "Hey, what's going on?" or whatever, <laughs> and he's mo- manipulating it like a puppet. That's the context of that scene. Mm-hmm. And she freaks out, and it's like, "What? I'm just having fun." Terry's kind of fun, <laughs> but. In all of this hullabaloo, she hasn't quite figured out that that means that Todd is innocent. Yes. She still believes Todd is a crazy murderer, too. So when she finds him, she still runs away from him, even though he is a way to safety. She ends up hiding the baby at some point. It's not really important where. She'll go back and get it later. She ends up running to the pool. Yep. And decides to sit right on the edge of the pool with a baby. And I'm just like, I don't think that's oh. the best place to be hiding. Yeah, totally. Uh, she also, oh yeah, that's where she hides the baby. In, in, the, in the locker room, in the cabinet or whatever. She finds Greg, I guess is the other friend's name, and the girl next door chick in the sauna, which is where they were put. Because he's just moving bodies everywhere. And she hides in the toilet. And he comes in following her. Terry does, the killer. Checks in the sauna and is like, oh, you too. I add it again or whatever. Inappropriate. Crazy, crazy, yeah. crazy. And then he takes a piss in the urinal and then laughs and leaves, walking right by the toilet stall where she's been hiding. So she successfully hides. And I think this is where Todd confronts Terry, right? Yeah. In the pool. Todd can't shoot him. So Karen takes the gun and tries to shoot him, but it's empty. And then the mom shows up and shoots him. So, yeah, they're fighting in the pool. Terry, the killer, climbs out the other side. Karen saves Todd and pulls him out. Now, meanwhile, she's saying all the names out loud. There's no way the mom isn't hearing these names. But maybe she's just as confused by the names as we can be sometimes. When you got twins with alliterative names, this is what happens. Pulls Todd, the innocent one, out of the pool just as Maddie comes in. She has a gun, and she points it at Terry and shoots him. And he does this really extended death scene where he just sort of, like, stumbles forward a little bit and stands there and, you know, before ultimately falling into the pool. Maddie goes to console Todd, and Karen goes to get the baby. And while she's gone, Maddie has ultimately completely lost it. She just killed her own son. And she's like, it's okay, it's all okay, and she calls Todd Terry. And Todd says, I'm not Terry, I'm Todd. You're my whole life, I don't want to live without you. You're my world. It's safe here. I don't want to be with anybody else. We don't need anybody else. We just need to be with each other, that's all. Oh, God, you're such a good boy. You're such a good boy. You're the bestest. You're the bestest of the best. It's just us, Tammy. He's gone. Todd is gone. I'm Todd. I'm Todd. And he gets pissed off and he gets up and he's like slamming the wall and he's like, 
I'm Todd, I'm not Terry, or whatever it is he's saying. And Maddie starts to lose it. Oh, but it could all be like it was, you know. Mm-hmm. But she realizes she fucked up. She can't convince herself that everything's just okay, like she was trying to do. So Karen comes back in with the baby and watches her shoot herself. Yes. She kills herself. So then Karen runs off with the baby, and I'm just like, can you stay and make sure that it's clear? Right, because then the cops show up. That he did not do all this. So, yeah, it would just look like Todd escaped from the asylum and then went on a killing spree. No, but I'm pretty sure we're, yes. we know that she's going to tell the police that yes. he didn't do it. But there's no way that he doesn't have an even worse complex than he did before. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that is Blood Rage. It's great. <laughs> what a hell of a movie. It's, it's a ride. It's almost like a no- you would expect it to be a nothing slasher from the 80s. Nobody talks about it. It was unique in a lot of ways, and it was totally ridiculous, and it was a ripoff in many ways. It's many, many different things. And I think if you just want to have a fun time and you like 80s slashers, it's fun it's a lot of fun it's very bonkers and weird and terry the killer is nuts yeah his laughter at the weirdest things is very He's strange. so weird so what do you think this movie has on rotten tomatoes oh i'm sure it's low does it even have one so it took me for fucking ever to find it but under nightmare at shadow woods which is the name of the apartment complex by the way that's where that name comes from. Shadowwoods Apartments. It has four professional reviews. Not enough to give it a consensus, but it, it is 75% there. But it's only four reviews, so that doesn't really count. What do you think its audience score is? 58. 35. Oh. Obviously no consensus since it's just audience scores. Oh. So not a very popular movie. No. Which, I I mean, I get, it's not a good movie. It's no. not well made by any stretch. No. It's terribly made, although some of the effects, like I say, are entertaining as hell. But, like, an average 35? Really? That's really low. So, obviously underrated, right? Yes. But what definitely. would you give it? I'm going to give it a 60. I'm fine with 60. I think 60, 60 works. Like I say, it's not a good movie, but it was... Actually, a lot of fun. Kelsey and I both really enjoyed watching it. Yes. And we can't say that for every movie we watch on this show. No. So it's kind of a breath of fresh air in that way. It was fun. It was creative. It was really, really stupid. But in many ways, in a fun way. Yes. You know? Yeah. So So that is 1987's Blood Rage. Moving on to our next Thanksgiving movie. 2019's Escape Room. Now, I have to be clear. We are talking about 2019's Escape Room because there were four movies between 2017 and 2019 that had Escape Room in the title. There were two in 2017 just called Escape Room. And then this one also called Escape Room. And in between this and the other two is a movie called No Escape Room. (laughs) This is Escape Room from 2019. I think this is the one that ended up getting the sequel, but I'm not entirely positive about that. Well, it's set up for a sequel. This is the one with the story by Broggy Shut, with screenplay by Broggy Shut and Maria Melnick, directed by Adam Robitel, 
starring Taylor Russell, Logan Miller, Jay Ellis, Tyler Labine, Deborah Ann Wool, and Nick Dodani. Kelsey, what is Escape Room about? It's pretty much exactly what you would expect it to be. It's a group of people that are invited to an elitist escape room and they don't know why. And it ends up being, you know, it's Cube. It's... Yeah, it's Murder Traps. It's Squid Game. Yeah. It's... You know what? You'll love it. Escape Rooms got really, really popular leading up to the pandemic. Yes. So, like... We've done a lot of them We've done a lot of them. We've talked about them on the show before. And Uh, we thought this movie was going to be garbage. Yes. And it is not. It's kind of not. Now, okay, it's not a great movie, kind of like Blood Rage. It's not a great movie, but it's not fun because it's bad. There is stuff about this movie that is genuinely good. Yes, and while they definitely have ripped some things off, yes, like I said, absolutely they have. Like I said, I think Squid Game ripped some shit off from this. <laughs> I, I was very heavily reminded of that. Yeah, uh, but it definitely rips shit off from Cube. Absolutely, and it rips some shit off from Cabin in the Woods, among other films. Yeah, it's not like the most unique thing in the world, right? So, but that's okay. We're not coming here because it's unique. Is it done well? The movie is available with subscription to Spectrum on Demand. You can rent it for $4 or buy it for 13 to 15 I think we've kind of already discussed it. Should people watch this movie? Yes. Sure. Why not? I think you should. Again, it's not perfect. It does have problems. There are groan-worthy moments aplenty. But it's a lot of fun. It's not like high art or anything. But yes, I wrote down several times, oh, that moment was actually a whole hell of a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. Oh, that moment was a whole hell of a lot of fun. What's not fun is all these like, we're on a time crunch because the room's turning into an oven. We're on a time crunch because we're going to die of hypothermia. Those weren't what was fun about them. Like the thing that gave these moments stakes and why they had to rush felt like it was more of the saw element of it. And I wasn't really as into that, but like everything else, especially a lot of the camera work, there's a lot of really fun camera work in this movie. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm a sucker for that. And I just enjoyed all the different puzzles, even though, you know, like, I know it's, you know, you're supposed to be, like, scared that they're going to die. But, like, I was more intrigued with the puzzles because yes. I was like, ooh, if this were an escape room, this would be so much fun. Kind of like the guy in the movie is. Yeah. Other than the dangers, which are decidedly not very escape room, the puzzles actually kind of are escape roomy. It's the kind of stuff you'd get in an escape room. It felt like I was in a real escape room. Except for the fact that you are in this, like, building that's been dedicated to this whole thing. And some of these are, like, warehouse-sized rooms and stuff. Oh, the things that they can do are The things that they can do are ridiculous. But, like, the puzzles themselves, Uh that is what they are like. And I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Yes. You can take our advice or leave it. When we get back, we will talk about 2019's Escape room. I'm here for the escape room. Mike. Amanda. When does the game start? I think this is the escape room. We should look for clues. Oh! How do we get out of here? Airline 451. I got it. That was real. They're watching us. This is my hospital bed. Me too. Who would do this? They knew everything about us. That's why they chose us. Escape room. All right, Kelsey, can you get us started? How does Escape Room begin? 
Heavily reminding us of Cube. Yes. <laughs> a guy just immediately in a room. You don't know what's going on. He falls through the floor. Uh-huh. And very quickly finds a puzzle and recognizes that he needs this many numbers or whatever. And he figures it out. And all of the clues and the puzzle felt very, very real. Like you could find these in an actual escape room. Yeah. With like pictures pointing to letters and a This is almost order. the most escape room room in the entire movie. I but would say. As soon as he touches it, the room starts to close in on itself. So he has a very finite amount of time yeah. to get this done. Shut down all the garbage mashers on the detention level. Yes. And it's a really tense scene. And I thought that was a pretty good opening. I wrote, what a horrible way to die. That's what I thought, at least. Yes. And you absolutely think he is going to die there. It's it's a setup that when you see it, you're like, okay, well, now I'm always going to have that context in my mind. There's this one dude. He's alone, which implies either that he's the last one left or that he's spun off on his own and maybe he dies early. And it ma- the movie manages to subvert both of those things. I don't think in a way that's not predictable, though, mm-hmm. because as you approach that moment, you get more and more of an understanding of how they're going to accomplish that uh, twist, I guess. Like, how is it not going to end one of those two ways? And as you get closer to that moment, you're like, oh, OK, I see how it's going to happen. Yes. Mm-hmm. The opening title cards are bad. They're they're just a ripoff of Inception. And yeah. I don't know why. When the when the name Escape Room came up, it's the same thing, basically. Yes. Mm-hmm. We get a title card of three days earlier. We meet our main character who is like very, very mousy and shy, but also brilliant. Yeah, this is Taylor Russell playing Zoe Davis. We're going to find out later that she has the reason that she behaves the way she does is because she was in a plane accident where she was the only survivor. Yeah, uh uh-huh. So she's afraid of everything, and her college professor tells her, over Thanksgiving break, you should try something that scares you. So yes, that is the reason that this is tied to Thanksgiving. There is literally nothing else in this film. All this is happening over Thanksgiving break. Nothing else is related to Thanksgiving. I wrote, Jesus Christ with this teacher's carpe diem speech. He really wishes this was the Dead Scientist Society. (laughs) He reminds me of John Michael Higgins from all the Christopher Guest movies in Community. He's the Seize the Day teacher. In community, trying to get him to seize the day. Only when we stop stopping our lives can we begin to start starting them. Why did the pretty young girl die alone, surrounded by sweater-wearing cats who are trained to use human toilets? Your homework! Ah. I want you to swim in a lake and tell ten people that you love them. That's what he reminds me of. It's just Jesus laying it on real thick with this college professor that's reminding you to live life to the fullest, inspiring you. It might seem like reducing the number of variables in your life will control the outcome. But life isn't a science experiment. You can't contain your world forever. Try doing one thing that scares you over break, okay? This is no way to teach accounting! And the reason this is important is because this is the reason that she accepts the invitation. All of these people, well, several of them, are going to be given reasons to believe that they would have received this 
invitation. Some of them are going to be way more believable than others, and some of them you're just not going to hear at all. Right. These invitations come from a company called Minos, which is the name of the guy who built the labyrinth and put the Minotaur in it. And then every couple years he would send a bunch of young men into the labyrinth to feed the Minotaur. (laughs) And then that's when What's-His-Face gets out, kills the Minotaur. Yeah, so... They say it right there, what this is all about, Uh but it does feel like Squid Game took a lot from this, which is weird. Yeah, I mean, there's certain tropes that that are going to be in these. When you're playing a game, but it's actually deadly, like, you're gonna see a lot of these tropes. It's unavoidable. We meet another kind of main character, Jason Walker, who is basically the equivalent to Quentin from Cube who seems like kind of a good guy and definitely is not. Right, yeah. uh Although I think this movie makes it clear much earlier on that he is not to be trusted. Yeah. He's ruthless is the point. Yes, and he believes that he has been invited by one of his rich clients because he's like a stack guy. Yeah, he closed some crazy deal and his boss gave him something and then he thinks he gets a present from his client who he made a lot of money. I do enjoy his little monologue about the Karate Kid. Yeah, uh huh. <laughs> Thought that was well done. I must be like the Mr. Miyagi of trading to you, Charlie. Mr. Jesus Christ, kid, what year were you born? He's this wise old Japanese man who taught a kid karate so he could beat up other kids. Oh, so believable as we get older that people just haven't heard of things. <laughs> Kelsey gets a lot of that experience firsthand as a teacher, yes. where she'll make a reference that you would think everyone would know, and the kids are like, what are you talking about? <laughs> yes, every day of my life, I am reminded of how old I am. <laughs> we meet Ben, who is definitely supposed to be Marty from Cabin in the Woods. Yeah. Hair, He's the stoner. Hair, clothes, yeah, behavior. He's kind of the funny guy that everybody likes. It's almost, uh, this is going to be really weird. He's portrayed, if anybody knows of the games Danganronpa, which are very sort of similar, they put a bunch of kids in a school and they have to kill each other to get out. The last one alive gets to leave. So it's Battle Royale. Kind of, but they're just in like a school and they live there together. Each person in that scenario is the ultimate something, like the ultimate athlete, the ultimate detective, the ultimate, you know, whatever. And there's always one character, and this is the character that you play, who is just the ultimate lucky person, who they select just on a raffle. They don't have any great ultimate skill. They don't have any proclivity for any of this. They are just the one that's picked at random and then called the ultimate lucky person. And so this is basically who he is. Out of all these people, they have... Some sort of proclivity for success or doing something or being clever or resourceful in some way. And he is the, you know, hard times, down on his luck guy that's not really great at anything. Yeah. He he has no real reason to, like, stand out and shine here. Yeah, let's just go ahead and say it now. The reason that all of these people have been picked is not because of their skills. Mm -hmm. Even though you might think that at first. No, it is because they are all sole survivors of tragic accidents that killed everyone else yeah so yeah i mean who is the ultimate lucky person now out of all that's these what they're people, gonna find out yeah who's the most lucky of them who's gonna be the sole survivor of the sole survivors which 
doesn't make a lot of sense because there's no indication that you have to kill each other. Yeah, there's really no reason built into the game that they couldn't all survive. The biggest thing that they try to do to to stack them against each other is the coat. And they very quickly are like, no, we'll just share it. What's the big deal? Yeah, you think that that's going to be a point of contention, and it's really not. No. But there's also no reason why anyone would survive, which is a failure of the game. It's one of the problems with Squid Game, too, is that there is no guarantee that in any particular game, anyone would survive. Well, um, well, they say at the end there was a 4% chance. That no one would win? No, that someone would win. Oh, okay. And they, you remember the very end? Well, she has to have a chance or there's not a yeah, real game. Uh-huh. But my point is, is that, yeah, there wasn't, there wasn't any guarantee that it would just be down to one person one way or the other. Everyone could win. No one could win. Yes. And so what's, what happens to your game then? Yeah, it's kind of a weak overarching story. I yeah, think I they, agree. I'm not interested in the mythos, the lore no. of it at all. No. Just put some people in some escape rooms and let me watch that. Yeah. I don't care about all the extra stuff. I Yeah, especially since it's really bad extra stuff. Yes, it is. Like, if it was good, then maybe. But if hey guys, it's not going to be good, then just just let it be. Guys, do, do you think it's going to be a bunch of rich, bored people who just want to see people go through trauma for their own entertainment. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. Pretty much. And (laughs) it's, yeah, it's super uninteresting. And, like, the ending, you think that it's going to end with, like, she returns and there's nothing there. And, like, that's just the ending. You never find out. And that would have been way better. But then they, like, start a new game? Because she's coming back for them. So they're like, ooh, let's put her on a plane and see how she survives an escape room on a plane. You know, one thing I would really say I really like about the lore is the idea that they test out all their rooms. They go through a testing process. They do user testing, basically, which is really cool. I mean, I guess they don't do user testing. They just do QA. (laughs) And that's that's pretty interesting. But beyond that, I really don't care about the motives of the people putting this on. I really, really don't. But so we see that this guy is down on his luck. And I think is the implication he thinks that he's going to win money. I mean, they do get Everyone thinks they're going to win $10,000. Well, oh, does the invitation say that? Yeah. uh, Okay. Yeah, $10,000. I think the website, maybe. It sends you to a website, and you go to the website. Which the stock guy, I mean, like, why does he care? Right. But the other characters, I get it. I think he's just doing it because he feels he has to because it was a gift from a client. Hmm. But, yeah, it's it also needs to be a number that's realistic. That you might win for finishing a, an escape room. If yes. it was like a million dollars, people would be like, bullshit, $10,000. <laughs> and they're like, oh, okay. <laughs> that, that's that's realistic. I might actually win $10,000 in some high stakes competition. We forgot to mention that sometimes, because she's a genius and knows about quantum physics, sometimes she says things. And one of the things that they suggest is that if you are watching a pot boil, it literally can't boil. Yeah, I don't know much about quantum physics, but the idea is if you are observing something, it it can't change. Which I don't I don't know. I don't know if it's like Schrodinger's cat where you can't know if the cat in the box is alive or dead because you observing it changes things. That so that's one thing I understand vaguely, right? That 
your observation has an impact on what you are observing, and that cannot be avoided. Like, you can never measure absolute zero in temperature, because whatever device you're using to measure that gives off some form of energy, which produces heat. So you cannot ever measure absolute zero, which is the absence of any heat whatsoever. So your observation changes things, is what the Schrodinger's cat sort of thought experiment is supposed to illustrate. This is the opposite, I guess, which is that things cannot change if you're watching it. And I don't know why that is. It's some sort of quantum theory. They just say it exists and you just have to take it on faith that it's real. I'm sure somebody could explain it to me. Well, it's going to come up later. Yeah, but not in the way that you think it does. Like, she doesn't actually practically apply that concept to anything. It just inspires her to do something sort of related to that. And then she does this thing, which makes perfect sense, except that all of a sudden that means that she has access to a gas mask. And I'm like, why did that mean that she had access to them? Well, so they couldn't watch her doing it, is the point. But how did she know it was, like, where was it? Suddenly it was just there. It's not a, it wasn't a gas mask, it was uh, air. Yeah. Because they're in a hospital room with a bunch of hospital equipment. And oxygen is one of the things that's in every one of these booths. So everyone could have done that. Yeah, but what doesn't make sense is that the fire extinguisher was just plastic. Why wouldn't the oxygen tanks be plastic too? Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, we're getting ahead of ourselves. Who else do we meet when they decide to go? We meet the rest of the group. The vampire. Deborah Ann Wool playing Amanda Harper. She is a veteran. And we know her from... True Blood. True Blood. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's been in other things since then, of course. <laughs> uh, Tyler Labine, who we know from Tucker and Dale, amongst other things. But we saw him on this show in Tucker and Dale playing Mike. And Nick Dodani as Danny, who is just like the ultimate escape room fan. Yes. Who just happens to have also been a sole survivor. Yes. Of a, what did they say? Carbon monoxide poisoning is how his whole family died. But he survived. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we will never find out about his backstory. No, and that's actually kind of interesting because each one of these rooms is going to relate to somebody's tragedy in some way. You think so? It does. I have the breakdown. Okay. But your next question is going to be, okay, but how can they guarantee that each person is going to experience their their trauma-related little reference through this process, if you know people are going to die, how do you know they're going to die in whatever order? Uh, you don't. And there are people that never see their connection. In mm-hmm. particular, Danny never sees his his connection. Mm-hmm. The way that we're introduced to Danny is a little strange because there's this whole, like, when she comes in and first has to sign in, there's this kind of little production about it. And then she goes to get into the elevator and suddenly Danny's there. Yeah. And it's like, where did he come from? Didn't he, he already, have to sign in? Yeah, he must have already signed in. So where was he? What was he doing uh-huh. when she logged in? Why little did he things, go up in the elevator? Little things like that where the movie makes sacrifices for the sake of going, ah, ah, isn't that creepy? He just came out of nowhere. But it's like, no, it's not creepy because I can see quite plainly how you manipulated things in a way that makes it no longer make sense. And they make a big deal about him sneaking in a second phone. Do they even really use that for anything later? Not really, no. I thought I was like, for sure that was going to be something. Because as soon as he needs to use it, all of a sudden it doesn't have reception and then he loses it anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So 
they're all together and they're ready to get started and they're anxious and there's some lady behind some frosted glass telling them to just wait. Somebody will be with you momentarily. Mm -hmm. And then Ben gets tired of waiting and says, I'm going to go outside to have a smoke. And when he grabs the door handle, it just pops right off. Yes. And they immediately notice that there seems to be numbers and a dial. So maybe it's some sort of puzzle. Yes. It's like, you know, you might see on a safe, one of those things, except it has numbers that count up pretty high. Mm-hmm. And somebody finds a book, Fahrenheit 451, and... Zoe thinks that's what we have to set this dial to. But so while she d- is dealing with that, like, they're all kind of finding things, and that yes. felt very much like Cabin in the Woods. Yeah, but it's also very escape room-esque of, you know, you kind of spread out and find things. Right, I know. But, like, specifically, so they all kind of hone in on something, uh-huh. just like in Cabin and Woods. When they're in the basement and they're looking at all the different objects. Yeah. But unlike picking their demise, they are finding things that relate to their lives. Uh-huh. So, for example, Jason finds a snow globe with a sailboat inside of it. And you're mm. like, what's going on? Are they picking their fates? No, they're showing you their past. Yeah, these people are learning that whoever is putting on this escape room knows personal things about them or is just making them think about personal things. So maybe they're not making that connection yet, but they're like, huh, at this point. Yes. But so she turns the dial to 451 and it's like, what are you thinking? What are you thinking? You have to know that that's a Fahrenheit 451. That's a really high temperature. Why would you want to put that on there? Well, they don't know that it's going to turn on the oven of this entire room. And if you were in escape room, wouldn't you do that? You have an oven dial and you have a temperature value. You do that. That's what you do. That's what an escape room is. I guess. But it does. It turns on an oven. The whole room is an oven and it's going to get progressively hotter by turning on more you know, heat coils and then fans blowing hot air and it's going to get progressively hotter and hotter until at a certain point there's just going to be fire in the room. And it's really creepy. They find out that the woman that they thought they were talking to is actually just a mannequin and then we have to watch her melt Uh to to remind us of how hot it is in this room. Yes. It's really, really creepy. This room is Amanda's room because she survived... Uh, an IED blast, so that's the fire element, and she has burns all over her body. Yes. But so Zoe, one of their hints is, like, do whatever the doctor tells yeah, you. Yeah, follow the rules, and everything will be okay. And they end up finding, Zoe does, a rule that says use coasters. So she realizes, oh, if we put our hands, if we push down on the coasters, uh-huh. uh, this duct opens up. This is, by the way, Dr. Wu Tan Yu. And his name's going to come up a couple times. And I'm sorry, but the first thing you should be thinking of is, how should we get these down so that we can all go? Yeah. That is not the first thing they think of. It takes them a long time to realize, hey, we should probably find things that are heavy enough so that we can all go through this door. The fact that at least two people need to be there to hold down these six coasters 
uh, you push them down their buttons and it reveals an opening and it's a duct that you can climb through. And they start going through one by one and nobody's talking about how there are going to be two people left over who have no way of getting out. Yes, it's very stupid. They, they and never very have that conversation until it becomes a point. <laughs> yes, and they had a water cooler, but they gave some water to Amanda, Amanda when she yeah. got really hot. And started panicking. So they don't have enough for all six. But luckily, Ben, who is an alcoholic, has alcohol on him. And they put that. They they end up getting all out right as the blast happens. Uh Danny is the last person to get through. And he's still not faced by this. He's like, did you notice that everything blew up right as I got out? It's like they planned it that way, and he doesn't realize yet that, no, he just barely made it out by the skin of his teeth. Or he just doesn't want to believe that. Right. He's trying to rationalize all of this. We also didn't mention that Amanda has a complete breakdown crawling through the duct, because it is so hot. Zoe is somehow... She's the ultimate empath. Yeah, able to get her through it. (laughs) She cares about everyone. But, like, I mean, like, she knows exactly what to say, Uh exactly how to handle the situation. Probably because she's had panic attacks before, too. What's wrong? You can breathe. You're not stuck. Breathe it with me. One, two. You're not stuck. You're okay. I'm here. Okay, I'm holding your head. I promise I'm right here. You're okay. But it works really well because of the tense action of the film. Everything is propelling. It's going quickly. It's well done, and you don't really care that these characters who have never met before are suddenly uh-huh. best friends, and that is fine. And we're, we're in the next room already. You're right. Like, th- it has a nice pace to it, although we will spend maybe too much time in this next area. They're in a cabin. They puzzle their way out of the cabin, and they get into an open area, which is not really. It's like a big warehouse room with fake walls that they run into. And they're out in the snow, in quotes. And it's really cold, and it's only going to get colder. And they've all taken their jackets off at this point, because they just came from the heat. Uh Uh-huh. There is a funny line here where Zoe is trying to figure out the next puzzle. Jason says to her, slow down, Rain Man. And Danny is just like, that's offensive. That's offensive. Maybe a president's name? Maybe a president's last name. What presidents have a seven-letter last name? Madison, Jackson, Lincoln, Johnson, Harding. Whoa, whoa. Um, Slow down there, Rayman. That's offensive. And then they're all trying to figure out, like, a seven-letter name or whatever it is. Yeah, that's how they get out of the cabin. Oh, yes, yeah. They can't figure it out. You'll go down in history, a seven-letter name. Why is you'll go down in history not immediately sending them to Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Yes. Why not fucking immediately? (laughs) But no, Ben needs to look at a wall of antlers that all have one letter on them, and he recognizes these are all the first initials of all the reindeer, Dasher, Dancer, Prancer, all of that. Then he thinks of Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, which is important, because that's the song that was playing on the radio that everyone was singing to while he was drunk driving before he got them into a car accident that killed everyone but him. You might be wondering, how would anyone know that that's the song that was playing when that happened? Literally, how would anyone know? You're right to ask that question. Literally, how would anyone know? The only person who knows that that's the last one playing is Ben, and why would he have any reason to tell anybody that? Yeah, unless he just happened to include it in his statement, and right. I don't know why he would. <laughs> I don't know why either. Specifically, I need you to know we were listening to Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer when I crashed the car, when I was so drunk I'd crash the car, but I remember the song uh-huh. I was listening to. But, you know, who knows? Maybe he did. 
but there's never any explanation for that. They just know it. And so he goes, Rudolph. And it's like, oh yeah, okay. Ben figured it out. And there's no way anybody could have figured it out unless they had this very particular personal life experience. And that's like what the movie is trying to say, that they're going to be using details from their personal tragedies that now these people are going to have to reference in order to solve these puzzles. But that is absolutely not the case. Like Jason, he has this thing with the coat. And so he knows that they need to be swapping out the coat. Like, no, that's just regular, like a thought process that anyone would have. He doesn't even come up with that. Amanda's the one that's like, we should all be sharing the coat. They're really trying to emphasize though, that the reason they get through these puzzles is because they're, they're growing from their tragedies. You know, they're learning from the tragedies that they've had in their life and they're growing as humans. No, that's not at all. I didn't need anything <laughs> other than you'll go down in history in seven letters. And I was like, oh, Rudolph. Right. Like I said it immediately. immediately. But the movie really wants you to think that that's the case, which is a bummer. But so now they're out on the ice and immediately I was just like, well, someone's going to fall through the ice. That's going to happen. Uh-huh. And yes. And it ends up being Danny. Danny. And he gets swept away and they don't, they can't find him. It's it a reminded really- me of... It was really sad, but it reminded me of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory when Augustus Gloop. Oh, goes yeah, under. gets carried away under the chocolate. Yeah, totally. But there's this shot. It's like an aerial shot from above of all of them surrounding this one particular area where they think he is. And on the other side of the shot, you can see him underneath the ice, slowly drowning. It's a great shot. The cinematographer is. Mark Spicer, who's done a couple of Fast and Furious movies, but also Lights Out. He has a lot of really good shots in this movie, I would say. Like, one of the the shining things that come out of this movie is, like, they do really fun things with the camera. Yes. It's well made. Yeah. Surprisingly. But so, before he dies, there's this whole thing where Zoe has to find a clue. Inside a polar bear's mouth. I don't really get what her, like, true north is a lie. I don't really understand what happens here. I also don't understand why Dale, who had a conversation about his dog earlier, who had two different eyes, why that gets brought up with the polar bear She never even sees that the polar bear has two different colored eyes. Yeah. It's weird. I'll tell you what the true north thing is. True North is a lie is probably a weird way to phrase it, but there's a difference between True North and Magnetic North. So your compass is going to point you magnetically to a point on the globe that's actually slightly off from the North Pole. It's not actually really North, but it's as close enough as to not matter. And that kind of keys her into the fact that the compass that she's going to find is going to be pointing towards something magnetic. That's what we're supposed to learn from that. And so that's where she finds the magnet and then she puts the magnet on the fishing pole and that's how they get the key. Okay. I put down in my notes here, like the cardinal rule of escape rooms is if you see something, say something And nobody fucking does. They all go off on their own little private journeys and never say anything to anyone else until they've already solved a puzzle. (laughs) It's never like, okay, I found this. We might be able to use it for something. None of that. Well, these aren't escape room fans. Yeah, Danny just fucking died. Yeah. (laughs) But come on, people. If you see something, say something. I did also write that Danny dropping into the water was very predictable. You knew it was going to happen from a mile away. Mm Mm-hmm. 
There's a really funny joke at some point. I, I don't know who it is. It might be Jason saying it to Ben, but somebody says to Ben that like he should he belongs in one direction. And yeah. the look it, that he gives is <laughs> so great. Like it's it's like it's How almost, dare you? Yeah, it's, it's very, very good. It's really funny. They also accuse Ben of doing something to make Danny fall into the ice because he walked over away from them because uh, Amanda doesn't like the fact that he smokes. Obviously, it's triggering something in her or she just doesn't like it. And she's like, could you go somewhere else? And he does uh, to have a cigarette. And when he has to toss the lighter to Danny slides on the ground or to them it slides on the ground and danny goes to go get it and that's when it falls under and then they accuse ben of being an asshole and like doing that on purpose like you knew that was going to happen or something and then they're like maybe you're in on it maybe you're a plant and it's like what the fuck is why this is so unnecessary it's why are we strange. doing this how did it happen what what i how did danny fall in you're the only one who saw he, he was there and then it exploded and then he fell i you threw him the lighter, and somehow you're perfectly fine? I, I threw it across the ice. I was just being an asshole. Yeah, you I, threw it to the exact spot that just happened to collapse? Are you saying that I did it? Yeah, I, hey, your words. Not mine. Danny kept talking about a games master. Yeah. Maybe he's already here. Yeah. Take this out of the movie. Yeah, and but then it does lead to a really fun monologue where he's talking about why he's the least suspicious of any right, of them. Right, yeah. <laughs> and there's some really good lines. He's like, Jason's got the American psycho vibe going yes, on. Which, which is very true. Absolutely Oh does. my God, yes. <laughs> and it's, it's a very good monologue, and I liked it a lot. Games Master? I work at a grocery store, all right? I mean, Jason's the one here with the whole American psycho vibe. Mike, you're like the creep at the truck stop. And Zoe, I'm really sorry, but it seems like your parents locked you in a basement until you finished all your homework. And her, I, what about her? Where'd she get all the scars? Sergeant Iraq, asshole. Oh, so you've had military experience. So that makes you like a, a psycho Zena. I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm just saying here, I'm like the least suspicious one. Okay, you know I, what? It's not a, shut up. None of it matters, all right? We then get to see what happened in Jason's past because he's remembering it when they find the coat here. Because the coat is the exact same the coat. The exact same coat. That the him and one other guy were the two last survivors of a boat capsizing or something. Uh-huh. So they're sitting on the hull of the boat as it is completely upside down trying to survive and it's freezing out there and they just have the one coat. And the story he tells is that... His buddy, who was with him on this trip, uh, kind of goes cold crazy and fights him because we only have one coat and only one of us can survive, and then ultimately jumps into the water and swims away. But by his story, he was wearing the coat when he swam away, and then he was never found. So how would anyone know what this coat looks like? Mm -hmm. Well, we'll find out there are discrepancies with Jason's story later. Well, I mean, I immediately knew that's not right. how that went down. You know that he's just sugarcoating things, and we know what was really happening is that Jason was the one that became combative and killed his friend For in order to keep the coat. Yes. And he, but he grows. They share the coat. He doesn't take the coat first. He does chime up when it's his turn. And then I think at one point he needs to pass it on to somebody else. And he does. Mm -hmm. Like it's a non-issue. It's a total non-issue. But they make it seem like it's going to be an issue. But this is the Jason room. The cold, the coat. This is Jason's room. Yes. 
But they end up getting out, and the ice breaks behind them as they run out, and then they make it into the next room, which is an upside-down pool hall. Which was also a very fun reveal in the camera, because it starts out right-side up, and then the camera flips around to show that it's upside-down, and you get this, like, sense of vertigo. It's actually pretty cool. They come in on the ceiling. Yes, it is well done. It is a fun shot. And almost immediately, the phone rings. And they're like, well, how are we supposed to answer that? It's like in the middle of the room. And the phone drops down. And it makes this fax line sound. Yeah, and then it starts playing a song. Downtown. Oh, Downtown, right. By Petula Clark. I love that song. And every, so often as it plays through the song, one entire stretch of the ceiling, which is the floor that they're walking on, will drop out from under them, and it's a bottomless pit chasm beneath them. And it's going to continue to do that. There'll be a time of silence, and then there'll be the the fax machine internet connecting sound through the phone. It'll play downtown for a while, and then another panel will drop. What do you think that was about? Because they're going to go downtown. <laughs> Why I think the fax it. machine song? No sound? fucking clue. Okay. It was transmitting data. I Yeah, I don't know. Uh, that's weird. But everything's upside down. This is Zoe's room. Because when the plane crashed, the plane was upside down and her mother, among others, were still seatbelted into their chairs, hanging dead upside down from above her. Okay, so it just doesn't matter that it's in a pool hall. It's a thematic thing, okay. not the actual place. But they discover that what they have to do is they have to f- solve... A puzzle. A sliding sliding tile puzzle, puzzle. yeah. uh And, of course, Amanda, because she's an awesome gymnast, is able to, like... So that makes you, like, a a psycho Xena? I I don't... Jump around and find things Uh for them, and they're all just hanging on by the skin of their teeth. There's stripes and colors in the puzzle, which refer to the different balls. And then the balls have the numbers on them, and they use the numbers to open a safe, which is behind the bar. So, yes, Amanda's going to climb behind the bar. When they're ready to solve this puzzle and enter it into the safe, it does a really cool thing where the camera flips back around to make the pool hall seem right side up again. And Amanda's kind of hanging upside down, it looks like. Mm -hmm. And that's a great moment, too. Really fun in-camera moment. Yes, agreed. And it's really sad when she dies. Yes, because she is going to die in order to get them out. She needs to get to the center area, and then she ends up just hanging there by the phone, and they're like, come on, grab the pool cue. Like, come on. You're hanging there. You outstretched a pool cue. Even if she grabbed onto that, what the fuck do you think is going to happen as soon as she lets go of the phone? She's going to whoop, <laughs> slip right <laughs> off of that fucking thing. But she does. She goes out on her own term semi. She makes the decision to let go. And fall to her death. Mm -hmm. And it really fucks with Zoe. Yes. And it also fucks with her when Jason's like, survival of the fittest. And it's like, Which uh, is not what's happening, by the way. Survival of the fittest is not what's happening. She was the fittest. She's the only reason you all survived. What are you talking about? The good point he makes, though, is that she decides that she's just going to freeze Zoe. This is her reaction. That's fucked up. She just died. I need to not do anything right now. And Jason is like... Great. So now she died for nothing. We ha- we're on a time limit here, very obviously. And you're just going to waste that time, waste your life that she gave you 
by just standing here and doing nothing. Like, he's not wrong, but the survival of the fittest thing, yes, he is wrong about that. Yes. One of my biggest problems with this movie, with each of these rooms, is that there is no timer. Yes, really there is no explicit timer, yeah. That they don't know that, because in... in in escape rooms, we are always well aware of the time that we have. Yeah. And I think that that adds to your sense of tension. And it's odd that they decided to take that out and make it a surprise. So instead, they do things like, in the first room, the temperature is rising. In the second room, the temperature is dropping. And then the ice is going to break. And then in the third room, the ceiling panels are falling from out from under them. And then in this next room, there is an actual timer at one point, and they're going to be flooded with deadly gas. This is the take a nap part of the movie, where we all just relax. We're all going to have a conversation. There's no real puzzles to solve. We're in a hospital room where every bed is designed to look like the bed that no, each there is person a puzzle was in. To solve. There eventually, yes. <laughs> but for a while, they just sit around and talk about their experience. Yes, exactly. And I wrote down, weren't we worried about time? Right. Five yeah. Seconds ago? <laughs> yes. So we get to see all their charts and we get to reveal this is how we find out what happened to Danny with the carbon monoxide poisoning. And we learn about what happened to everyone, and they all tell their stories, and they all admit things like Ben admits that he was drunk driving and killed his friends. And then Mike, Tyler Labine, talks about how he was a miner, and there was a collapse in the mine, and he had to watch his brother suffocate. And we learn everything about everyone here. And then there is sort of a puzzle that we get about heart rates. There's a heart rate monitor. And they, I forget what the actual puzzle is, but they need to get to a certain point. Extremes. Yes. So they thought, well, we got to get our heart rate really high up. So Jason's going to kill Mike here <laughs> because <laughs> he puts the heart rate monitor onto Mike and they're trying to get his heart rate up, but it's not high enough. So then he uses the, the paddles to shock his heart and he continues to do that until it gets high, high, high and then kills him. And it's still not enough to actually trigger whatever is supposed to be triggered. Now, I love this next part because it confirms that Jason is a psychopath. Yes. <laughs> He's very, very much American Psycho here. He's like, oh, it's about extremes. It's not a high heart rate. It's a low heart rate. And so he puts it on himself, and then he, like, starts to meditate to drop his heart rate. And he drops it down dangerously low. And the gas is coming out, and that's probably not helping the heart rate matter. Uh, but meanwhile, Zoe is losing her mind and she's made a decision. Nothing will change as long as it's being observed, she says. And so she smashes all the fucking cameras. Now, again, this works <laughs> for what she does, but I don't think that this was her plan. They don't make it clear. She just decides to start breaking the cameras, which is well and good. You should want to do that. You don't want them to be able to uh -huh. see what you can do. They have the exact same idea in Saw. In Saw... He's there the whole time, so he's well aware of their plan. Uh -huh. So, like, he's smarter than his test subjects. Right. Not so in this movie. They're so stupid that they, uh, I guess, that it, because they're in the triage treatment, like you said, they have gas masks or oxygen masks. Oxygen tanks, yes. But again, they shouldn't work because the fire extinguisher didn't fucking work. Why would these oxygen masks work? Because but, the movie needs them to. Yeah, I guess. But she has lost it and she refuses to leave until she smashes every single camera. And eventually she does. But Jason is successful in getting his heart rate down low enough to open another door. 
that Ben and him go through. Ben tries to convince Zoe to come with him, but she's like, no, I'm not playing their game. I'm just going to fucking die from all this gas until she collapses. They've left. She collapses. And then the camera lands on the oxygen tubes. And then we leave and we follow Ben and Jason into the next room. And there's a fun sort of ghost house haunted perspective moment, which is really, really fun. That makes Jason look a lot bigger than Ben until Ben runs up on him. And then he looks a lot bigger. It was just a fun moment. And the wallpaper is like, blown up black and white shots of thumbprints and it feels like an Alice in Wonderland kind of moment. Yes, as soon as they came into this room I was like, "Oh, this is going to be a fun room." Yeah. And it was. So, the last room, the triage room with the gas was Danny's room that he never got to see. Poison inhalation basically. This room is Ben's room about inebriation. So, why is the last room Dale's room? Because it crushes you. And there was a mind collapse that he was in. And he was pinned between all the rocks and couldn't move. Okay. Claustrophobia. Okay. But so they go to put their hands on the door handle to yeah, get out. There's like a, what do you call that? It's like a valve, you know, you're turning the, the wheel to open up a hole in the floor. And it's so heavy that it takes all four of their hands. Uh-huh. And they get all this goop all over their hands and apparently it is some kind of hallucinogen and then they start hallucinating. And I think this does a really good job of communicating that hallucination in the shots. Yes. Your face is melting. <laughs> hey, you're melting. You're melting. <laughs> it is so much fun. What? It's oh my god, is it melting? And he's like touching his face. It's yeah, it's very good. It's a really fun scene. But then why does Jason decide to kill? I I don't ben. remember. They get into some fight. Oh, there is only one cure oh, for the drug well, that's going to kill. They only find one. There might be more. Yeah. We don't know, but the It's but one dose that they find. Ben finds one and of course Jason now especially that he's been all drugged up uh-huh. is like, "Fuck you, man. I'm taking that shit." And they get into a huge fight. And surprisingly, ben, uh, wins. ben wins. Yeah, because he he manages to throw him off of him and Jason hits his hits the back of his head on like a table or something. But so he gets into the next room and this is where the movie began. Catches up and it jumps. We, they don't waste any of our time. It jumps immediately to him trying to solve the puzzle. And we think he does. He finds the four numbers he needs and he's doing a really good job thinking like an escape room works. Yes. And I really, really enjoyed this, but it doesn't seem to work and it should work. And he's getting crushed and his knee gets like bent the wrong direction or something happens something. to it. It doesn't break his but leg. he seems to be fine later. But it fucks up his, like he, he walks with a limp or whatever. But, but he escapes by getting into the fireplace. fireplace. That's what, when he solves the puzzle, I think that the implication is that he needs to get in there as part of the solution. Oh. Because the back of the fireplace is going to open up. Got it. And he takes a shield to protect himself from the fire in there, and he gets out that way, and he goes into what appears to be like a control room. And this is where the guy who is running everything, I mean, if you want an analog to Squid Game, he's the dude with that special mask. Also, another connection to Squid Game is when they think Zoe dies, they send in people to collect her body. 
Oh, yes. But she is not there. And they're like, what do you think you're doing? And she's just like, breathing, bitch. And then right. she knocks them out. And that felt very Squid Game. Yeah. This sort of games master ends up explaining everything to Ben about how the world's gone soft. And so we decided to test people. From the beginning of civilization, we've known there was something captivating about watching human beings fight for their lives. That's why we watch gladiator games, public executions, rubbernecking on the freeway. But now the world's gone soft. Everything is safe. Everything is careful. So we created a sport for people who still have a thirst for savagery. And we provided them with a boxy for life's ultimate drama. Which is really just a way to murder people and have fun doing it. Yeah, and, and then... We got bored of that. So we wanted to see who the ultimate survivor is. Like... <sighs> it's really lame. It's really, really lame. Very and lame. Unlike Squid Game, they're like, we're not going to give you shit. We're just going to kill you. Yeah, we're just going to kill you. You don't actually win anything. This is so stupid. Yeah, we're going to kill you. I mean, obviously, $10,000 would not suffice anyway to keep them quiet. But yes, he's just going to kill him anyway. And then he starts to strangle Ben when the monitor that shows all the different people that are dead refreshes. And it shows that, uh uh-oh, Zoe is really alive. And now the Games Master is on the board, too. Very, as alive. Yeah, very cabin in the woods. Oh my god. Did she just hack into their system just to fuck with the guy? Meanwhile, he's strangling Ben to death? Yeah, very quickly, she, I might add, because all of a sudden she's in that uh-huh. room with them. Like, it's really, really dumb. Yep. Uh, but she put the Game Master in play and then reset her status. They both end up killing this guy and getting out. They tell the police everything that happened, and when they try to, because Ben is so fucked up, he's in the hospital, but he's going to survive. When the police take Zoe to the location where she said everything happens, it's completely run down, and there's graffiti everywhere, just like you see in tons of other moments. It's in the game, Mm -hmm. right? So, like, these moments are everywhere. And nobody believes her that it happened. They're just like, fuck on out of here with your reports, Ben will be fine. He'll survive. But there's there's no crime that happened here. They find out. She finds out over time. It's like a year later or something Six like months. that. Six months. And they're meeting up. And he's all clean shaven now. And he has a new job. The and sales are, rep for yeah. vegan dog food. She has found the stories of all these people. Oh, Danny drowned somehow. And... Amanda went rock climbing on her own and fell. And so there's all rationalizations for how each person died. And they're just covering it all up. And we could have been one of these stories and we weren't. I'm going to find out what's happening, what's going on. She says, I'm tired of being the only survivor at some point. You came back for me. Yeah, well, I'm tired of being the only survivor. I couldn't decide if that was a cool line or a really stupid line. So she goes to find out the truth. I forget. Oh, she finds another invite to the next one. What happens? How does she find out where she needs to go here? Well, she just says, I bought us two plane tickets in two weeks. I don't remember how she figured it out, but uh-huh. she just explains to him moving on. Doesn't mean running. Are you in? And he says, yes. And then we see that they are planning for them to come on a plane. Yes. And we see, a plane that's going to crash and yada, 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 and it's going to crash into a, a mountain. And then we see that it's all just a simulation, a la Star Tours. And they're commenting on what works and what doesn't work and how this actor did something wrong and et cetera, et cetera. 
there's a shadow man at the end in yeah. a screen where he's just backlit. So he's black. And I'm like, oh, that's really fucking cheesy. <laughs> I expected this to be in like an anime from the 80s or something. This is not like 2019. Are we really supposed to think that this is intimidating? Yeah, it's like, lame. It's lame. It's lame as fuck, homie. And that is Escape Room. They're setting it up for another sequel where Zoe gets to be in it again. Yeah, there's a sequel. There is a tournament of champions, which I assume just means that they're going to have all the survivors from the previous ones participate in a new one, except there are no survivors from the previous ones. We learned that in this one. They kill everyone. So we thought. So we thought. Yeah, we're confused. It doesn't make any sense that they would try to kill Danny in this one and that there would be survivors in the other ones. It does not make any sense, but whatever. I'm open to it. Maybe they'll explain it in the next one. I would watch a sequel to this. It was dumb in many, many ways. But there were also things in it that I really enjoyed and couldn't help but enjoy. The stuff that were legitimate escape room things and not like the elaborate traps necessarily, but the legitimate escape room things, I really enjoyed. Yes. The fun things that they did with the camera and perspective and just fun little things that take two seconds and we're just getting a performance by the cinematographer. Great. Loved it. There's a lot to really enjoy as long as you're not hoping you get something that's particularly profound. Yeah, no. Because it's not. It's this dumb. It's just a fun, yeah. <laughs> fun little feature and I like it. Yeah. Like I said, I would watch a sequel to this. Mm-hmm. So what do you think it has on Rotten Tomatoes? 72 51. Escape Room fails to unlock much of the potential in its premise, but what's left is still tense and thrilling enough to offer a passing diversion for suspense fans. I'd probably be a little bit more positive on it than what this consensus is, but their points, I think, are very true. Mm-hmm. It has a Metacritic of 48, so they're all hovering right around that 50% mark, uh, and a cinema score of B. I think, coming out of a theater, if they surveyed me... I would have given it a B, too. (laughs) But giving it an actual score is going to be different. Do you think that 51% is overrated or underrated? Underrated. I agree. But what would you give it? I think I'm going to give it a 70. I think it's a worthy effort. I was waffling between a 68 and a 70 myself. I started out at 70, and then I was like, "Ah, can I really give it that much? I think you can, because I think it's got a lot, and I think that it recognizes that it has flaws, and that's why it kept the pace going, and I appreciate that. Uh I appreciate the recognition that, hey, we know that this isn't a great movie, but we're here to have a good time, and we will continue to provide that to you, and I liked that. You know what? You've convinced me, Kelsey. I think I will also give it a 70. Uh, It was passable. I I, I enjoyed myself having watched this movie. Mm Mm-hmm. And which is why we recommended that you watch it. Mm-hmm. So that is Escape Room from 2019. Remember, that's the one that we're talking about here. Thus ending our Thanksgiving episode. It's going to be the last week of November next week, Kelsey. What are we watching? Next week is a recommendation week. With a theme. A theme of Stephen, Stephen King, King and dogs. dogs. Yeah. We're going to watch Cujo. Which was recommended by Jeffrey. Thank you, Jeffrey. And Gerald's Game. Which was recommended by Harry and the Chickapedia. So thank you, guys. Yes. It's a Stephen King and Dog Week next week. Double themed. (laughs) Cujo and uh, Gerald's Game. And Women in Trouble. 
Yeah, I guess it is women in trouble, isn't it? We avoided watching Gerald's game ever since it came out because we knew we would cover it on this show. Mm -hmm. So we still haven't watched Gerald's game. So this will be brand new for us. Yes. I know a lot of people have seen it, but we haven't. But it's another fucking Mike Flanagan movie because he has absolutely carved himself a niche in the cinema world, right? <laughs> like he does these particular types of things. We love Mike Flanagan, so hopefully this is good. Yeah, hopefully. But I've heard it is good, so we'll see. That is next week. Until then, you can always find us at our website, podcemetery.com, and on Twitter, at podcemetery. Don't forget to subscribe to us in your podcatcher of choice and rate and review. Five-star written reviews are the biggest help you can give us there. Bigger than that is sharing us with your friends, and even bigger than that is listening in the GD first place. Thank you all very, very much. We love each and every one of you. Until next week, I've been Chris. I've been Kelsey. And this has been Pod Cemetery. But before we go, Kelsey, any last words? It's not cranberry sauce. I'm going to find you. I'm get you. You know you've been trying to hide. I'm sticking up from behind. Driving out of your mind. I'm going is normal in this movie. <laughs> there is no one that I'm like, oh, that person's cool. Yep. I don't even care what her name lives. She's such a bitch to the brother. She's just like, no matter what I'm told, I will believe that you killed that person. There's a star. <laughs> yeah, me too. Waiting in the stars. Da 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 da. He'd like to come and meet us, but he'd think he'd blow our minds. What year is it supposed to be? What year is it? <laughs> 1974. 1974 is when the first one happens. Then the movie takes place in 1984. Got it. Okay. This, 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 these, the, bleh.